Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by SRB Field Rests. Your shotgun, bow, or rifle is an extension of who you are as a hunter. Whether you're hunting snows in a muddy mess of a field, mallards in the marsh, or whitetail from a ground blind, SRB Field Rests has your back. A local Kansas company that provides an easy to use, simple, and ergonomically effective solution to just awkwardly holding onto your gun or your bow when you do not need to. Allowing you to have more freedom, comfort, and safety in the field. Enter discount code FOULFRONT at checkout for 10% off your order of any SRB Field Rest today. This episode is also brought to you by Oak Barn Beef, a direct-to-consumer, family-owned farm that delivers high-quality, DNA-tested, dry-aged Nebraska beef from their family to yours. You can select from a wide variety of boxes. My personal favorite is the Husker Beef Package, which combines jerky, ground beef, steaks, and a brisket. These packages are perfect for families, get-togethers, out-of-town hunts, or for you outfitters looking to upgrade your table fare for your clients. Order yours today at oakbarnbeef.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. And I'm like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. And you're like, yeah, yeah, just come and hunt with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if you're only going to shoot one duck, 
Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Foul Front, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Foul Front. To sign up, head over to foulfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. All right, uh, today we are talking about the perils and dangers of being outside, specifically when we're hunting. And I've got my friend Alex Wallace on today. And uh, Alex, why why are we why are we talking about this today? Well, I mean, I uh, I had an experience this past couple of weeks ago, or actually been about a week now, with a a friend of mine that just kind of reminded me a little bit of some of the dangers in the outdoors and sometimes how those dangers just come out of places that you don't really expect sometimes. And so to give you some background on, on that story, I was, I was at work on a Friday and it was noon I was walking back from lunch and I have a, I have a good friend of mine who my, my wife put me in touch with here. Who's a avid outdoorsman in South Texas where I live. I live down in, uh, live down in San Antonio and uh, he had told me the day before that he was going out to scout some ducks and he was getting ready to hit the weekend up and I was pretty excited about it, hearing about his trip. And I get a call on Friday from him and um, he goes, hey, I got two things. Uh, good news. I found I found ducks. I was like, oh, that's great. Great to hear. He goes, but the other thing is that, that I'm stranded right now. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, where are you stranded? And he's like, well, I had to walk a little ways. And uh, he dropped me a pen and I looked at it on the map and I was like, wow, you are, you are up there. Like you were, you were in a place that average boats cannot go. And he reached out to me because he had about two or three other friends of his that had, you know, mud boats and things of that nature, but both of them were out of town. And the lake, uh, the lake he was on is not necessarily, it's, it's remote enough, uh, to, to have good wildlife. It's close enough to highways to make you feel pretty secure, but it's surrounded by, a wildlife management area. And so there's no real easy way to access it on foot. Um, and really the best way to get anywhere on this lake is, is on a boat. And there's really no walk-in hunting on it for ducks at all. Like you have to, you pretty much have to have a boat. Um, and so I ended up getting my boat and going down and putting it on the launch and, and going out to get him. And he had really gotten himself up into, a, I mean, what ended up being a really awesome duck spot. Um, thankfully the weather was pretty warm, but he was stuck for about four and a half hours. And what had happened is this starter had gone out on his boat and he, um, you know, he runs a surface drive and starters go out and there's not really much you can do preventative maintenance wise. So it's not like he was negligent, you know, like uh, we, me and you both probably know people that don't really take the best care of their gear. And so when it breaks, it's not a surprise. Um, you know, this is one of those things that no matter how well you take care of your stuff, they, they, they go out. And so. Um, I went out there and ended up, you know, basically getting him out. And uh, in that whole experience and where he was, I got to thinking that, you know, it was lucky. It was, it, we, we live in the, we live in South Texas. It doesn't get super cold here, even when the month that it's supposed to. But I was like, man, if it was just 30 degrees colder and maybe he had fallen in the water, you know, um, or, or something of that nature that where he was, even though if you look at it on a map, it's probably less than a mile from any road. Um, you might as well be, you might as well be a hundred miles away. You know, it, it's, it's not an easy place for people to get to. Um, and then it, it very quickly could have been in a very dangerous situation. It kind of made me reflect a little bit on my, 
my life in the outdoors and I was, I was a professional raft guide for a while and I worked for the university that, uh, university I went to university of Tennessee outdoor program. And, um, I've seen some kind of precarious situations. And what I found is that a lot of times it's not people, you know, it's not, it's not the bear that gets you right. It's not, it's not the, it's not some dramatic, uh, legends of the fall end that gets outdoorsmen. It's, it's something usual. Usually, I don't know if you got that reference or not, you know, but, um, <laughs> You know, where Brad Pitt meets a grizzly in the woods and it was this, you know, dramatic end. But uh, it's usually like something innocuous, like a twisted ankle and you, nobody can get help and you're off the trail 100 yards. Um, or or in this case, like waterfowling. And I got to thinking about it, like, you know, duck hunting, we intentionally put ourselves in some dangerous situations. And I think sometimes we do it without knowing. You know, we, we get up at four, you know, two, three in the morning. Um, we put ourselves in boats. Um, the nastier the weather, the better usually. And we go into places that average boaters, I think would even go, what, what are you doing? You know, or even if we're walking hunting, you know, we're walking in places that are swamps and not friendly. And to quote my wife, uh, from last weekend, she said, well, you just walk up to any gate and just, you know, trudge down onto the water. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you really step back and you think about it, and I know that a lot of people that, that listen to this have probably been hunters or outdoors in their whole life. And, you know, I would, I would challenge to ask them, like, how many times have you really reflected back on just, hey, what if, you know, or where am I actually going? Um, and I've, I've had a couple of occurrences in my outdoors life that have made me think about it and go, man, you know, just some simple prep or some simple thinking would quite possibly get some people out of dangerous situations. And already this year, we've had some unfortunate accidents with hunters. I was doing some research on it. And, yeah. Um, it's nothing. And crazy. I think the reason, the reason that we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, you and me started talking about this is that we share some similar backgrounds and um, some occupational um, similarities that kind of have us ingrain us with this sense of redundancy and, just a little different mindset that I think a, a lot of people can um, probably benefit from understanding how um, we might think or people similar to us might think. And some of the things that have been ingrained in us that makes us kind of view dangerous situations just a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that being in you know, like when I was a when I worked for the university and I I was a raft guide and and backpacking guide and I instructed fly fishing, uh, which all I think to you know the laymen seem pretty like very like you know they're not high threat necessarily, but uh, when you're taking people out on a trip, you're kind of you're you're responsible for their lives. You know, not much different than if you're taking your spouse or your kids out or somebody that's never been hunting. You know, I mean, how many of us have had a friend that's like. Hey, I'd really like to get into this. Will you take me in? We always talk, and I hear a lot of the podcasts talk about getting new hunters into the sport. Um, you know, we're kind of responsible for those people that we put in our boat, and they're relying on us to be safe and um, have a good time at the end of the day. You know, have a good time, have a good experience in the woods. But those good experiences can turn pretty quick um, from some very, like, I, I like to call them unknown unknowns, you know, things that you just don't know are there or things that you can't plan for, but that only good preparation could help you out with uh, and simple things, you know, that can help you out with it really goes bad. I think the danger lies um, kind of on both ends of the bell curve uh, to the neophyte who doesn't know uh, what's going to bite him 
And then to the guy that is bravos uh, enough to think that he can't be bitten. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when I was in college and even in the Air Force, like even even around the the, even around, you know, like our our job, like you see people that are like, yeah, I've got this. And you're like, do you really? And um, I mean, at the end of the day, nature doesn't care. Like nature, the cold water doesn't care if you're fit. It doesn't care if you're 20. It doesn't care if you're 50. You know, the effects are pretty much the same on everybody. And one, one thing that's always uh, kind of disturbed me about flight, uh, planes, helicopters, and being up in them is that <laughs> there's got to be a lot of stuff going right to keep <laughs> me in my, in my current state. There's a lot of things going right. It's like, um, there's a lot of intricate systems that are working together and one little thing comes off and next thing you know, you're, a, you know, you bite the dust. But uh, I think that's a, a good kind of metaphor into there's a lot of things going right every weekend where duck hunters aren't getting killed. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't like this isn't, you know, this conversation in my mind isn't meant to like focus on gun safety, which I think is like we hear a lot about that. Hunter's Ed covers that. You know, this is more like, Man, waterfowling, dark, you know, wet, uh, cold, and we are intentionally putting ourselves in those places. And if you're running, like, I mean, if you think about just a regular surface drive duck boat, I mean, they're designed to go, you know, 15 to 30 miles an hour over skinny water. Like, that's, that's where stumps live. You know, out, that guys that have outdoor outboards wouldn't imagine doing that. Um, yeah. And, and we hit us yesterday. I was actually duck hunting. I've been out a few times this season. And I was duck hunting with my buddy and my wife was in the boat the other day and we were coming out of our hole and we were in the very, what seemed to be innocuous channel. And sure enough, just ran into a stump. Um, and, and nobody came out of the boat. We lost no gear, but it, it sure did alarm us. You know, yeah, the motor's fine, but, um, you know, how hard would it be if you're standing up steering your boat or you're standing and you're sitting, you know, up in the front, you're on a pile of decoys and, and you hit something like that or you hit a branch and someone goes overboard. Now what? You know, like it's not a, a far fetch. Yeah, no. And then the very opposite for a lot of the hunting that I do with either a trolling motor or, or paddling is that, you know, I'm not, I don't give a crap about stumps. Um, what I care about is the wind and I, I don't have enough speed to get up on plane to get over just the slightest of 10 mile an hour chop. 10 miles an hour means I have to be hiding behind, um, you know, trees that are underwater or, or, or water breaks. I'm not crossing any, any sort of large water uh, that can build up enough uh, wind speed to make any sort of sizable uh, chop. Yeah. I mean, even wading, you know, like wade hunting, if you think about like walking and, and you know, some people, well, I'm not in a boat. Well, I listened to, um, I listened to a podcast from a duck hunter. Uh, was, I forgot which one it was uh, where they talked about hunting in bogs. And he was like, yeah, if I took a wrong step, like I was over my waders. You know, <laughs> like, wow. That's- Where, what, which, which, yeah, which podcast was that? I, I think maybe was it the, was the Duck Gun, maybe? Um, where yeah. Talked about um, a the Michigan. I, I don't remember all the details, but yeah, uh, he was like, but I do remember thinking about like he was in a canoe, he was in a bog and he talked about like, um, you know, you were in the boat and if you, you know, if you left the boat, like the, the dangers are that. And I was like, man, you know, it's already 30 degrees in those places. <laughs> you know, like, right. So, so just so everybody's kind of comfortable with how we're going to run this, we're going to go through, we're going to kind of list a threat and then we're going to list some mitigation 
uh, factors that we, you know, have kind of thought up and have actually used. We didn't want to do anything that we haven't, you know, necessarily used. We didn't want to do anything in theory, just the practices that we've used and experienced in the past that have, uh, you know, kind of kept us out of harm's way. And uh, I think we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump into the first one. And I think this is something that transcends duck hunting. Uh, it, it goes into, you know, hiking and all sorts of other hunting. But it's when we're dealing with remote areas and difficult access. Yeah. And remote doesn't necessarily mean miles away from civilization. You know, remote can mean how long will it take you to cross over unprepared surfaces to get to somewhere mm-hmm. someone could get you. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, uh, the save time or, you know, even it might not be remote via boat, but the boat goes down and it's an hour and a half walk out, you know, or more. I mean, like, like I don't, I grew up in East Tennessee and the Smokies aren't necessarily known for their ominous presence, but, but make no mistake, like hikers get killed every year, um, wandering a hundred yards off a trail and they can't get through the rhododendron. Uh, what is it? It's Blood Mountain. Blood Mountain, right? Uh, That's right there. In the- I don't know about Blood Mountain. The Mount Leconte, you know, is one of the, a lot of popular. The yeah. High Clingman's Dome. Um, I hiked some trails there. That if you went fifty yards off, you better have a compass because you're not going to see a landmark. Um, I've hiked. I've hiked certain portions of the AT with a buddy that is section hiking the whole thing, and you know you you. You get up and you say, "Well, those mountains, no, that ain't crap. Those are little hills." I've been to the Rockies, right. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, continue. I'm sorry, we're I pulled over too. No, hard but there. I mean that's but that but you know what? It's funny. That's exactly what gets people in bad spots. Something looks innocuous, or they're very comfortable with it, or they grew up with it, um, and then they they go in and and they and 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 then all of a sudden you're lost. And, and you know, I've got a, one example is I was I was before I lived in Texas. I lived in Georgia and I went hog hunting. Uh, and I was in a swamp, like a lowland swamp, and it was actually loaded with wood ducks. It was a great place to go hunt wood ducks. Um, and I killed a hog, and it, and I followed its blood trail, and it was at night. And I uh, I didn't I, I didn't think anything about it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm 50 feet from my truck, you know, or 50 yards from my truck in the road. Um, and I got down in the woods with a green light in the bottom of the swamp uh, in the dark, and I got turned around. Like I got all kinds of turned around, and I had to think about. Well, how do I get myself out of this now? You know, <laughs> I didn't have my, I left my cell phone. Yeah. I actually left my cell phone in the truck. I left my, I left any mode of communication in my truck. Cause I was like, I'm not going far. Um, but it was, yeah, that, that touches, that touches a, like a little bit on some of the, I think, you know, we have all these nice discussion topics and we think they're all separated, but I think a lot of things are interconnected. Um, that just reminds me of a story, uh, a property that I have hunted since I think I was 12 or 13. Uh, my buddy Bubba's uh, parents' place. I know that place like the back of my hand. If there's a new tree that sprouts up, I, I you know, I notice it. And uh, we, were, I was out there and stayed just a little bit later than I should have with this storm uh, rolling in, this snowstorm. And man, if if it didn't, I had to turn around at the river. Finally, found the river and said, "Okay, now I know where I'm going out," and just followed it to a fence line. And I know every inch of that property. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super easy. It's super easy to do. And um, yeah, I mean, I got to say like in, in that point in time, if I hadn't had some kind of training, you know, like 
and I've been to Sierra, I've been to the survival school up in, in Fairchild. And, and, you know, they're one of the first things to tell you is like, orient yourself, you know, like stop what you're doing. Don't get yourself more lost. Um, don't get yourself right. in a worse situation and, and start figuring out where you are. And I had to, I actually had to do that. And I remember getting to my truck about a half hour later and being super embarrassed about it. Like I was like, I, I was 50 <laughs> yards from my truck and here I am. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure some folks are getting a good laugh at my expense on it, but, I was like, man, that's that's easy to do, and and then I thought some stories where yeah. I've heard people do it, um, you know, and then if, especially if they're maybe not as physically capable, or or the weather's a little bit worse, and and it ends in tragedy. And I can I can go online and find any number of examples like that. Yeah, and it's just like, um, and I think this is super important. I always have a compass on me. Uh, I, it's just kind of ingrained in us. And uh, always know your panic azimuth, right? It, there's got to be some sort of linear backstop that you know, okay, hey, if I go, no matter where I'm at, uh, is if I go, you know, a mile and a half this way, I will run into this linear backstop if I just, you know, use this panic azimuth, which would be, um, you know, maybe it's straight north or straight yep. east. If I go straight east far enough, I will run into the lake. If I go straight west far enough, I will run into Highway 81. Whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. I do the same and, thing. Uh, yeah. And just that comes a little bit down to, and we're finally into point number one here, um, your route planning and kind of doing your your map recons, making sure that you know the area, even if it's brand new to you, you at least uh, know a certain portion about it. And I think knowing everything you can about the routes and the accessibility in and out of the area that you're going is extremely important. Yeah. The accessibility and it's you know, the linear backstops or the landmarks, um, you know, the prominence of those landmarks, uh, you know, the plain States, the Texas, South Texas, you don't see a lot of prominences, but something simple, like even a radio antenna. Um, you know, when I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, they had these giant towers that you could see for, miles and miles around like from almost anywhere in the in the valley around it and that's a point that's a point of reference that you could walk towards and get somewhere um and and it's like you know here where i'm at i always kind of look at that when i'm doing yeah and i that's a part of my scouting you know when i'm scouting something is and i think i think about it it's almost secondary you know i don't consciously think about it but i know where can i go to get place usually it's because i don't want to drag a deer 500 yards or something you know <laughs> right yeah the same things that we're like we're always looking for the fastest way in is you know also uh most oftentimes and not always the you know probably the, the safety point as well um so when i am looking at a map of a place new obviously i'm looking for you know the primary entrance into it how am i gonna get in there what's the shortest walk what's the shortest boat ride um, that it takes to get from my truck to where I'm hunting. Uh, and I will just call the truck that's safety right. pretty much. Um, yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, there's alternate routes for different hunting conditions. If we're talking about deer hunting, or if you're talking about, uh, you know, shallower water being iced over, or I don't want to cut through there. I don't want to cut across this large bay in my kayak when there's more than eight mile an hour wind, because I know what that does. But if, if there's, you know, if there's not much wind, screw it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go that way. And then obviously, okay, 
I am sitting out here and this is something I have had to look at a lot this year because I was sitting in, you know, 14, 15 foot of water. Um, sometimes in the middle of uh, the lake where there's, there's, there's spots that I'm hunting this year where I'm hunting out of the treetops of trees that I was, you know, I had my bag leaned up against to on dry land last year. Um, and so, okay, I dump here. Where's the closest dry land I can get to? uh that'll allow me to get to my truck and that's you know that's kind of the emergency point and um i those are just kind of the three things that i look at uh, when i'm analyzing something from google maps google earth um and i don't know what, what's you have a little bit of a different probably take on it you things that you are using a, a boat with a surface drive and yeah, so I mean, I'll, I've I've duck hunted walking in swamps before, and and here, you know, yeah, I've got a, I have a boat, and um, my buddy's got a surface drive. I have the privilege of running a long tail, which for those of you that run it, it's not the the most easily done thing in the world. But um, I, I run a long tail, and and I have to think about, um, yeah, like so if I go down, where's the closest point? Like when I'm riding my boat, you know, my boat's not huge; it's a 14 foot all weld you know, with a with a long tail on it. So I'm not crossing huge open water. So I don't hunt the main lake if the winds are up. That's the end of the day. <laughs> you know, like that's that's just all there is to it. And and it's and I check the weather apps on that and I look at it and it's like and no, I'm not gonna get the NOAA weather like there will be gale force winds on Choke, you know, Canyon or whatever. I, I get what uh what weather app I are use you AccuWeather. Um and there's another one called My Radar. And so between AccuWeather and My Radar, and I'll tell you I like the My uh, Radar because uh, it, it lets you click just about anywhere on the map and it puts a forecast down for it. Um, and so it, you don't, and it shows exactly where the front frontal boundaries are. So, you know, I like. Oh, uh, is that real time or is it no, projected it's, it's and historic? It, it's real time. Oh, man. Uh, actually, you, I, I've been using Wonderground, Weather Underground. Uh, I, I've used Weather Underground. And I, I like My Radar Pro better. So it's My Radar, My Radar Pro. My yeah, radar. and it's it's really yeah, it's it good. Out. It shows it shows the frontal boundaries, and, and I use that, and I kind of go to a point, and I go, wow, the wind's going to be over ten miles an hour. I'm not, I'm not taking my boat here. You know, that's going to be precarious. Um, do you not? Do you don't, you don't listen to the NOAA? Uh, no? I, I don't, don't, but I will tell you, I carry a I carry a Garmin Rhino that has a weather radar a radar on it. Has the that I. Having a weather weather band with you is, I think, next to a compass, uh, like the the one survival tool that is like super helpful is having a weather band. Yeah, and I, I so on the compass note, real quick, the compass I carry is I think it cost me three dollars and it goes on my watch band, like it's a watch band compass. Um, my watch band actually has a compass, a whistle, and a fire starter in the buckle. I'm a nerd, um, but to me that's like super cheap insurance for a lot of reasons. Is it is it on a knife that uh, Rambo? <laughs> I used? wish uh, they I, the company I bought it from actually does make one that has a knife in it, but it's a paracord watch band um, for my G Shock. Oh, so it's it got does. the paracord it has, on it I think it too. twelve feet of paracord. Um, which, if you, anybody's got experience with real paracord, like twelve feet of paracord turns in like a hundred feet if you pull all the little threads out of it. Yeah. It's innards. super useful, uh, but it, it's got a it's got a paracord, and then it's got a buckle on it that has an emergency whistle, a magnesium fire striker, and a little pin like a top compass on it. Um, 
that at the very least I will find my way out and I could start a fire if I have to, or signal someone. And I think, yeah. I paid- you know, strange, strange pull over on that one is, is, you know, like paracord, like uh, five fifty cord. Did you know that they've got like 10, 10 I did not cord? know that, but I'm intrigued. It's like that it's twice. Yeah. It's twice the, uh, Tensile strength of the, the 550 cord. Oh, your swamp boat out, I guess. With it. <laughs> right. I got like most of my paracord anytime I get it. So, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, that's, but that's like, what I've got, uh, you know, that helps me. So, how big is your compass face? Is, is like, is it actual, is it an actual, like, could you do land nav with the compass or is it just get you north, I would east, say west, or south? Get you northeast, west, and south. It, I mean, it's one of those things. If you have a pretty broad linear backstop, you're going to be fine. You know, like it, it'll get. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. If you, if, if your panic azimuth is just, okay, just go north. Uh, if you're not actually trying to navigate with degrees or mills, um, because, you, you know, because Onyx does right. that for you. Uh, or powder hook does that for you. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but uh, I just always, I don't know. I just always throw the tritium in there, and that is kind of you know, I don't know. I would feel silly going out. Yeah, there I've that got one. I've got my my compass, um, and then I have my my GPS that has actually saved me more times I think than than anything in, in a multitude of trips. But my uh, my compass, you know, and my my GPS, and then my GPS, I always carry spare batteries. And if in a pinch, like I've got the double A conversion, so I'll just take the batteries out of my Mojo. And uh, my my first boss um, that I had uh, when I was uh, a brand new lieutenant, um, you know, I went out and I bought the Garbin, the little one, the wrist yeah. rocket, right? And uh, he, all the PLs had them. And he came over and he took all of them from us. And he said, you guys aren't going to use these. Um, and we were like, sir, why? You know, why not? This is great. And I spent, you know, $214 on it. Um, and he goes, hey, like, this is a cheater and this will teach yeah. you bad habits. He goes, you need to use your map and your compass, uh, you know, until you're until you get to the next rank or where you're at, what I'm at. He goes, you should just use that and then use what, what they give you. Um, cause this is a cheater and you won't always have this and you'll be damn, you'll be damn, uh, glad that you had to do all the hard stuff, um, and navigating the way that you are, um, now when you have that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, and I, I mean, bat- maps don't run out of batteries. Um, you know, and I like, I've True. got a. I mean, my, my, my blind bag, my boat bag, you know, it has a waterproof map carrier in it. Most of the maps I buy, and, and I mean, that's cheap insurance too, right? Like put a map in your, like get a map, put yeah. it in your waiter pocket. Like it takes up no space, put it on your boat, put it in your blind bag. Um, I, I mean, devices, I think we put a lot of trust in our iPhones. Um, you know, like I know that I use my, I mean, crazy enough, I actually have a really yeah. good navigation, like boat nav app on my iPhone that I use to get to my spot. Yeah, but I download the offline. Yeah, you don't even hardly need a depth finder no, anymore. No, because uh, there's some apps out there that know the like the water level and like your elevation and can give you. Hey, you're in 14 foot yeah, of water. Yeah, I've right got now. one of those based off historical data. It's called yeah, it's GPS crazy. fishing maps is the one I use. Uh, yeah, GPS fishing maps, uh, and it lets you. You have to pay for the chart in your area, but it it lets you customize the water level. 
you know, you could put in like, oh, the elevation. Well, we'll contact him and we'll hopefully get a couple kickbacks. <laughs> um, but it does the same thing. It's unlike it's unlikely, Alex. Oh, it's unlikely. I, I, I'm not in this. Um, but anyways. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about apps and the different things we have. And I don't think still um, for route planning that there is a better tool than the desktop version of Google Earth Pro. Hmm. Where you can build your, um, you can essentially, you can go in there and you can look at basic every aerial image that's ever been taken. Um, So you can my hunting property, I can look at it, what it looked like in 1991, I think when they f- ter- took the, the first photo of it. Really? And then, oh yeah. And then you can click between two different points. You can draw a line and you can look at the elevation distance or elevation difference between them. Um, and it will kind of give you a picture um, of what you're looking at. And I actually can tell based off of the water level of the the launches um and where i know what where they're at like i can tell what the depth of every spot on the lake is uh using google earth pro the desktop version for some reason the phone version is is not not caught i'm gonna download that i mean i've used google earth a lot i use the garmin face camp is the one that came with and i I use it because it lets me import and export my roots um, which, you know, you talk about route planning. Um, right. Last year, I had no less than three duck hunts saved that would have been fogged in um, because I had a GPS with all the hazards marked on my route. And we were just like going super slow yeah. in the boat, like, you know, made it, it could be built in time for it. Um, but that's what I've used. Uh, it's been, sure. it's helped me, but I'm going to check out the Googler Pro because that, that's how it Yeah. And disregarding our difference in how we pronounce a uh, route or route, um, I think the next thing that uh, going from a map recon, going actually down to like the no shit, been there, boots on the ground recon, and making sure that you track where you go, the route that you use, or a better route in, um, and actually using that. Hitting the track button on your Onyx, hitting the, uh, the record button on your, um, on your GPS. Can save you absolutely. A lot. It saved me in a bear hunt um, a few years ago. I used exactly that the backtrack function to pack out five miles in the middle of nowhere, and it was it it saved me a lot of pain and anguish. Um, so yeah, I, like if you've got the if you've got the tool, use it because that's extremely helpful. I think the last uh, two points that I think we should talk about with. Um, our routes and stuff is, uh, and the first one that I want to say is, you know, there's, don't just be looking ahead. Look, look at everything to the, to the left and the right, maybe break a, maybe break a branch and say, Hey, um, this is, or, you know, drop a point or anything like that, or something that you can recognize that particular area. Here's a stump. I know there's a stump when I almost have to veer around this broken branch. Um, yeah. Or things of that nature, you know, hang a, hang a reflective marker that you can pick up on your way out. Um, because as you take notice of those things, um, I just think that being super aware of the route in and being cognizant of certain little tells 
can save you a lot. And then especially for like duck hunters, I know a lot of duck hunters that they'll get in there, they'll scout, they'll scout with their binoculars because they don't want to uh, wait around until the birds leave to go in and say, okay, hey, this is where I'm going to tie my boat up to. Um, I know that my lines have to be this length because I checked the, the depth there. I cleared out a little bit of brush there. Or I moved this branch so that I don't have to take my buddy's head off as he's, you know, going in. Yeah, I um, I, I like the, the dropping the points. And the other thing to consider when you're doing this is think about what it's going to be like when it's dark. You know, like you're out there in the broad daylight. Like what's it, what are you going to do in the dark now? Um, keeping in mind that if you're, you know, if you're comfortable with where you're at, because you could see a reference 200 yards away, or you could see something. I mean, even if it's pitch black and cloudy out, which I mean, probably going to be great hunting that day. You're not going to see 50 feet in front of you or around you, even, you know, unless you've got a killer headlamp. Um, and even then you're not going to see all of it like you would in the daytime. So keep that in mind too. And I, I, I think like reflective tape, nothing really beats that, but I know there's laws on, you know, leaving some of that stuff up, um, you know, taking it out when you're going and whatnot, but keep that in mind too. Like when you're doing your scouting that, that you got to get there and possibly in a bad situation, get out in the dark. Yeah. I, I do a lot of branch breaking, um, very like in a very identifiable way. Um, the, the last thing I want to say too, and this, uh, this happened to my, my current boss. He was telling me this story. Um, you know, that GPS can fail. That GPS is not always correct. He, uh, and exactly what you and I were talking about, figure out where you're at, right? Stop, just stop. Don't get yourself any more lost than you can. Um, he was walking in from an elk hunt up in the mountains in Colorado and he said, man, I, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm at, but his GPS said he needed to go left uh, or he needed to continue going south or something like that for another two and a half miles. And he's like, I don't know. I've been kind of doing a little bit of a pace count and I, I kind of know, you know, I'm this far away because he was being cognizant and not just trudging. And he said, you know what? Screw it. It's it's super windy and snowy out. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to let this little squall pass and uh, I'll see I'll see where I'm at. And he said he sat for two hours and uh, he couldn't see more than 20 feet ahead of him. And it, it kind of died down. And uh, lo and behold, he was a quarter mile away from camp when it said he needed to go south another two miles. Yeah, that is um, it's, it's um, like your equipment settings, you know, if you um – Sometimes like on these GPSs, it'll say like nautical miles, statute miles. It'll give you options, kilometers, clicks, and all that other stuff. Check that out too. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's so basic. Like go in the settings and make sure your units are correct um, on that stuff. I mean, same with your depth finder yeah, and the stuff exactly. on your on your boat. Like make sure your units are correct. Make sure you're in the right map. Make sure you're in the right uh, chords. Because I, I, I promise you, you would rather figure that out in the warm living room than sitting possibly like cold wet and damp somewhere going why is my, my equipment not functioning right right now <laughs> uh, that's right and that gets us into uh you know uh pmcsing and uh checking your equipment beforehand last thing i want to say about this and we really we got to move on um know how many steps it takes you to get 100 yards that's a good and then uh kind of know the conversion rates kind of know the conversion or, or know how many steps are in a quarter mile or, or a, a, whatever distance you want to use, know how many steps it takes. And then know if you're going uphill, 
um, know that that number as well. If you're if you're walking through a swamp, know that. Know if you're walking through the woods, just kind of know that. You know, so you, that'll at least get you in the ballpark of, you know, okay, I know that it takes me two minutes in this type, or I know it takes me this many steps to get this far. So if you're really if you're really hurting for not knowing how far you've gone, um, that you can kind of yeah. gauge that. It's handy. All right, let's let's get out of this one and let's talk about situations where we're in limited communication, where you know that you're not going to be able to call somebody uh, if it's something about goes being down. Where the good hunting is, right? The, 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 <laughs> the yeah, no yeah exactly. Hunt. At least that's yeah. what I tell my wife. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's true though. Like we all, you know, some of us that are like. You know, the ducks are always just around the next river turn, you know, or they're in the next pond over, the next spot over. You know, we just kind of like to go a little bit. Some of us, you know, scout, you know, want to scout and get out there. Like, I like being, I like being kind of solitary when I'm hunting. I don't like to have a lot of people around and I'm willing to walk a little further, which usually means no communication. Um, right. The first limited comms situation that I've had, that I dealt with really is in Nebraska. I don't know. The cell phone towers are pretty good. <laughs> you know, the Verizon yep. coverage is pretty great. Uh, the first time I had to deal with it was up in the Lincoln National Forest, which is just uh, north of El Paso there in New Mexico. Um, and I got up there the first time and I realized I have zero service. But anytime I got dinged, um, this goes back into route planning. Anytime I ding, 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 I get some cell. I said, oh. I'd mark it on the map and say, oh, I know that if I'm in, you know, if I'm hurt, I just need to get to this spot. Yeah, I never thought of that. I could call pretty, out. Pretty, pretty um, <laughs> Marking cell phone coverage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one of my camps on my OnX um, is uh, in that area. I call it cell uh, signal camp. And you, uh, yeah, um, that's, uh, and, and people like if you guys are making, if anyone's making trips out West, make zero assumptions about cell phone coverage West of the Mississippi is what I've learned. <laughs> like, um, I mean, there's yeah. whole sections of like 50, 60 mile interstate to some of these places that have no coverage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, uh, and looking at your, um, your map that your cell phone provider gives you can get you kind of close actually and there, there's some websites that show you um like down to i think it's like a quarter mile area where you can get cell uh, reception and uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors uh, verizon wireless um just kidding um but if there's any verizon execs out there listening i i truly uh i picked my cell phone carrier based off of the areas that I was in down in West Texas and having the most reliability there. And it's kind of carried over into to Oklahoma and Kansas. But anyways, yeah, just keeping track of where, you know, where you can find these places and you can kind of plan it out a little bit. Um, and then marking them on the map where you can get cell reception. The next thing uh, that I kind of did when I was in those limited areas too, um, I always left my, my wife a like a five point contingency plan. I don't know. Did you guys have, uh, you guys have those in the air force? Uh, I haven't. No, that was, was a new one. Um, mostly because we're usually like in the air. <laughs> so we're, like everybody knows where we're going. Cause we have A to C or something like that on the plane. But we, um, 
No, like, but I've heard this before, like in, in outdoors, you know, like when I would, when I was guiding trips, we would always leave notes like on the, you know, in the car, on the windshield. Um, you know, one of the things I remember about this is, is write that down and then put it inside your car in the windshield where someone can read it with something, you know, not, not like taped on anything, oh, yeah. not like under the windshield wiper because it will blow away and do you no good. But like use, um, we used mm-hmm. to use like real bright stickies or not stickies, but like post-it notes, um, bright colors. So people would know it and we would tell people like, Hey, look for the orange thing in this vehicle's windshield. That'll be where we're at. Um, I knew, I knew that this was going to come up. And so, um, I actually searched through all my, I keep a lot of my old, uh, hunting stuff and notes. Um, and I have several of these things when I was, I was hunting up there. Um, I would leave, Hey, and I'd write it with a, um, an alcohol pen. I'd say, Hey, I left my truck at this time. If you find this truck, if you find this in uh this vehicle and I'm not here, like, and it is at this time, I need you to call uh, the authorities and tell them that I went generally. And I would even like pull up Google maps and print out the Google maps on it and say, this is the general area that I'm hunting, uh, blah, 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 blah. And inside that waterproof packet, I would put a copy uh, obviously with some of my information right. um, not disclosed, uh, but I would put a copy of my hunting license and my, all of my stuff. Um, and I used to do that religiously. I don't do it anymore, um, but I used to do it religiously. And one time we were hunting on uh, this lake where I could see my truck from where we were. It was about a mile, about a mile out. I could see my truck and the game warden pulled up, looked at that sheet checked it and i had my buddy's license stuff signed in there too and he just put it back on there and turned around didn't wait for us i mean at least somebody's looking at it (laughs) you know like and somebody's taking it like what i do is you know like when i was going to 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 get my my stranded buddy uh i told my wife i sent her a message i said hey i'm I'm going in i'm going in the river now um you know i'm at the ramp and i'm leaving now if you don't hear but if you do not hear from me by eight o'clock tonight um, you know, a last point of cell phone service, I kind of like send that message out. And, and I learned this actually, you know, fly fishing in Utah. I used to go and, and fly fish in Utah by myself in the fall. And I bought a spot, um, one of those spots, um, obviously not sponsored by spot, but they have a, a service where you can buy like a yearly thing. Um, and I thought it was actually a really good insurance policy. Um, it was a, my buddy carries one in his duck boat. Actually, it's a very small device. They sell them, you know, Cabela's Bass Pro, and they have a function where you put canned messages in it. And uh, they have an SOS function that you can hit. Um, and the canned messages can say things like I'm good, you know, and you can put so many phone numbers in it that it will send like blast to your family uh, to let them know that you're like, okay, when you're in an area of no communication. Uh, and it's satellite based. It's a satellite pr- uh, thing. I think I paid two hundred dollars uh, for the subscription. It was an annual one, which I know seems pretty expensive, but that came with it came with rescue, came with rescue insurance. Yeah. Um. So they would come get me anywhere in the world if I hit that button. Um. And so I was like, yeah. And I keep that. It's pretty actually slick. my hunting bag now. Um. Garmin is coming out with the, you know their in reach is very similar. Um, yeah, they're very yeah, similar. Reach, My GPS, sure. in fact, folks have uh, maybe some of the GPSs have Bluetooth connectivity. They will they will link off of that, so you can send messages as well. Um, 
and especially if you're going by yourself. Like, you know, yes. Um, I just, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought a lot about that, you know, now being like a family man and a father, I, t- I think I told you earlier, I was like there on March. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to give out the PII too much, but at the end of March, uh, when my, when my daughter was born, um, in 2018, I became the biggest freaking wimp. I was like scared of tornadoes after that. I was like scared of like, Oh man, like what if I fall through the ice here? My daughter's going to grow up without a father. Oh, and I'm, I'm walking all the way around. I just became so much more conscious about it, but all right, back to it. So, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned this when you're communicating to somebody where they, you know, trying to give them a plan. Um, we, we do a thing in the military. It, it's called a five point contingency plan or a GATWA. And that GATWA stands for like the G stands for where I'm going. Okay. So my wife knows where I'm going. Uh, the O stands for others that I'm taking with me. Okay. All right. So now she knows if she can't get a hold of me. She can try to get a hold of this guy, um, et cetera. The T in GATWA stands for time uh, that I'm expected to return or that she's expected to re- hear, hear from me. The W would be uh, what to do if I don't return, you know, at that time or if I don't return at all, uh, I need you to call it game wardens, you know, et cetera. And this is what they need to do, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, the last one is kind of, you have to kind of augment it because in the military, it's like actions to take if I am hit. Like, so if you hear me like getting shot at, or if you are getting shot at, like, what are the things that you need to do? We're going to link up at this point or we're going to do that. But really how that, um, breaks down in uh, the, the hunting and with your you know, with your wife or your family member or your buddy uh, would be like, hey, this would be like if you hear that I've been hurt or that I've been lost or that I died or something, <laughs> um, this is what you need to do. Or if something happens to you in the, in the same situation at home, if there's a death in the family and you can't get a hold of me, you need to contact the, these people. Or if there's an, if, 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 if Nadine has to go or my daughter has to go to the hospital, if there's a terrorist attack or if like there's a sale at target that you've just got to get to um, and you need the truck, like whatever it is, like this is how you like, this is what, this is the actions that you need to take to contact me, get in hold of me or to like, yeah, come that, link I mean, up. those are all, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that you just, and, and you know what, shoot it out in a text message before you go and lose service. Exactly. Exactly like you were saying. I I haven't personally done this. I always just we kind of have like some standard operating procedures in my home. Um, But uh, yeah, just shooting that out one more time. And I I will say, you know, um, I'm a little bit more confident or bravos with these areas where I'm, you know, unlocking a gate and driving uh, to a pond, you know. But uh, a lot of things can happen on a frozen farm pond that can uh, get you in trouble. And we read about them every year. Yeah. You know, I think this is a really important story to tell. Um, and I, you know, we'll get to, uh, we'll get to the rest of the topics here, but this is just such an interesting story. When I was, uh, 18, um, my track coach took me and, uh, my buddies that were on the four by four team. He said, Hey, if you guys win state in the four by four, I will take you, uh, on this, on this fishing trip. So, me and my other buddy were the only ones that ended up going. But anyways, we did like a day and a half paddle in. And we got to this spot where my coach thought it was like super secluded. And he'd been there multiple times. And we, <laughs> lo and behold, there was someone there already. And uh, 
So we decided to share camp with them and they were two New York firefighters. Um, and this, the, the exact details are a little hazy. Um, and I really only remember it just barely, but, um, essentially they'd been going on this boundary water fishing trip. Um, they had been planning it a bunch and they were, we're going to go, we're finally going to go. So they go and they're out in the wilderness for, you know, 10 days. They get back to their, to their truck, um, and head into town and hmm. they've got a bunch of messages waiting for them at the hotel. And, uh, they got back on September 15th, I think September 15th, 2001. Uh, and, uh, they'd got a bunch of messages, obviously talking about nine 11 and something with, I don't remember if it was their, their whole ladder hmm. was like hurt or, um, you know, uh, died. But anyways, they said, you know, that that trip saved their lives. And so they, they vowed that they would always go on that trip every year. Um, so uh, that was just kind of an interesting, you know, I, I kind of sparked there the, uh, when I mentioned the terrorist attack thing and the, and the Gatwa thing. Yeah, it is, I mean, um, it's interesting but that, yeah, anyways, I mean, at least people just, knew where to get a hold of them. That was cool. So, wow. Right. Yeah, exactly. They had left True. that information. But I mean, we get comfortable. It's a different time though. And it's like, you know, batteries don't die on a note in your car. But, um, I mean, some of that stuff you just, it's timeless really. And will always work. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, it's like letting my wife know, okay, Hey, this yeah, is the game like in normal. the territory that I'm going to. Yeah. This you know, this is his number. She's not going to know. Most of the time, she she wouldn't regularly know to call a game. How do I look up the game warden's number in Riley County yeah, or whatever? I mean, it is, I, I, like my wife you know? knows where I go, and I I send it. You know, if she's not going with me, which you know she does, and that that's a whole other side of thing. Like your whole household is with you. You know, who do you talk to? Who do you let know? Like if something goes wrong, then. Um, and so, you know, that's. Yeah, but yeah, I usually send the pen. I, I, I like, you know, technology has made it so much easier now. Send a pen where you're going. Like, like it's, it's super precise and it's a great starting point. Yeah. All right. Let's get into oh, uh, water temperature and wind. I think that knowing those three things interact is extremely yeah, important for a waterfowl hunter to know. To cold, wet conditions. Um, yep exactly so uh, you know you talked a little bit about cold shock you know uh you wind up in the water you know some some actions that you need to take after that and and i think everybody needs to kind of realize that we're not uh scientific professionals and we're not like survival experts with with this is just stuff that we've you know researched or some uh, running estimates that we kind of know and what we, you know, base our decisions off of. Yeah. So, so you want to talk I, a little I, bit I about this cold, cold shock that you were I kind of telling me about kayaking trips um, and paddling when I was in, in college. And, um, you know, the, one of the rivers that we paddled was year round about 60 degrees. And, and, and I, just probably when I first had like my experience with you go in with a kayak and I used to winter, I used to paddle in the winter a lot. Um, and we would always suit up in like neoprene and dry suits, but cold shock is basically like you fall in the water, uh, and you find yourself immersed. And we have some layers, you know, like waterfowl hunters have layer, layers, layers on you know, like waders and things, but 
you're not necessarily immune to like your face and and, and water starting to get in your waders. And and basically, you have you have about three minutes. Um, you have about three minutes before your muscles start to, to basically seize up as your body um, tries to conserve its energy and warmth by pulling blood into its core. Um, and that's when you lose the ability to swim. And then if I, I did some research this last week looking up just a historically uh, waterfowl hunters and swamp boats. And that's what that's that's what happens. You know, like they hit the water. Uh, and then this cold shock is also going to do a couple of different things. Like you're going to start basically hyperventilating, which leads to some water inhalation. Um, by the way, my, my source I got this information from um, was a number of safety courses I've taken over the years, but it's consolidated in this uh, www.coldwatersafety.org. Um, and it, it kind of steps through this. And there's various other states have, uh, by the way, like I found like Pennsylvania and New York have in their boating safety cold water shock lessons. So go take a look at those. But um, you have about three minutes before your muscles freeze and you can't swim anymore. And if you're not wearing a PFD, um, then you're, you're in a really bad place. You're in a really, really bad place now. Um, and, you know, you, you're basically going to do. I remember, I remember, so my grandpa used to take uh, me fishing, you know, in some pretty cold water uh, when I was growing up. And I remember he mentioned one time, he, he was in the Navy. He said, hey, if you fall over, well, the first thing he always told me was, he said, 90% of fishermen are found with their fly down. <laughs> So never pee off the side All of your right. boat, have yeah. a pee bucket. Um, and the second thing he said, the, he said, fall in the water, it's real cold, take a deep breath, calm the hell down, and then find something you can grab that floats. Whether that's your life jacket or, you know, a, uh, whatever it is that you have on there and making sure that you know where that life jacket is in case, you know, the swamp does happen i just remember him saying that like that's the first two things that you do take a deep breath like chill out you're, you're fine, fine but you're time find something you know to like, especially if the water is freezing like hypothermia sets in at about 15 minutes in freezing water right um and that's the same source and, you know, but but we can sit there and be like well i'm not fishing you know i'm not hunting in freezing water and i've run across some guys down here in texas like it doesn't freeze down here we don't get cold water well 50 degrees um if you're wet for an hour if you're stoked, like it takes about an hour and, and you start, you start getting the symptoms of it. Um, so like even it doesn't have to be snow on the ground and freezing for hypothermia to set in and, and the cold shock and the hypothermia, um, you got to get warm and you got to get warm quick. And, you know, I, I kind of want to use this as like a public service announcement, you know, like take a look at a paddling website, you know, like waterfowlers and paddlers have a lot in common. If you're not a waterfowler hunting from a kayak, uh, which by default makes you one, but um, there's a lot of the same clothing mantra goes in like don't wear cotton and go wading in deep water in the cold um, you know polypropylene wool merino wool that kind of stuff is going to keep you warm when it's wet it's going to it's going to help you and it's going to buy you time and when you're soaked uh, in the cold you need time <laughs> is what you need um, and any little thing that can get you that is um, you know, could potentially yeah. save your life Yeah. What do they say? Seconds equal minutes or seconds build minutes, minutes build survival, I think is what they say. Um, but uh, ex exactly. There's a little bit of the, the you know, clothing the choice that you use, um, you know, talking a lot about boats and, and there's might be some people out there that that don't use boats, but they do wade or they do walk across ice. Um, and 
I remember I was hunting farm ponds and I was walking across the ice and I thought, well, shit, how do you get out of a, how do you get out of a, you know, you fall through the ice and you just keep breaking through, breaking through. You don't have really that long. Um, and I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I, I talked about this because there was a, I saw a fireman do it as a demonstration on YouTube and you can probably Google it, how to get out of a, through falling through the ice. And uh, what it was, he said, you know, you fall in, boom, you get cold, you know, you get that cold shock right away. And uh, he said, you know, just wait for a second, collect your thoughts. Like, okay, you have to be cool about this. Like you can't just freak out and do the first instinctual thing that, that sounds right. He said, yeah, you put your elbows up onto the edge of the ice and uh, break your way to a point where you can, okay, it, it will support my elbows. And then you let your feet float up behind you by kicking them up a little bit. And then you throw a leg up onto the ice and then you roll and you roll until you can get uh, to a point where you can, you know, obviously recover yourself. And so I just think that yeah, people I know that. I think that's ice, important man, for people to, to know. South for me my entire life. And so that's never been something I've come across. And so I, I imagine if I was in those places, I'd be hyper cautious about it unless I was just someone... Um, you know, well, this someone that knew it, but, uh, the weather channel actually had a survival thing on, you know, like, what would you do if show? And one of them was, uh, actually had on video, like this ice people falling through the ice. And as someone would go try to rescue them, they'd fall on the ice and how like a bad situation got worse. Um, uh, which I think is just kind of applicable to a lot of this. Like if you're with someone, oh, and yeah. you guys get in a bad situation, like don't make it worse. Like stop what you're doing for a second and think about every action you're taking. And don't exacerbate something that's already dangerous. Um, don't get yourself in that. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said. A lot to be said about that initial, like, boom, something happens. Okay. Like you're you're gonna freak out. You you're not a you're not a hardcore dude that's experienced this a hundred times, but just like stop just for a second, yeah. like do what you need to do to like remain alive, <laughs> but like get your, okay, have a, if you didn't already have a plan, now you need to, now you need to think about it. Like just that one little second of, okay, boom. Okay. This is what I need to do. All right. Now I'm going to do it. It's fine. Like I got this. Um, but you know, uh, you know, you're talking about clothing and then you're talking about boats. Okay. Let's say your boat is fully operational. It's not swamped, but you're in some you know, windy condition and you fall in for whatever reason. You hit a stump and you fall in. Well, guess what? You might be a 20, 30, 40 minute boat ride out still with your buddies that are still there. But I mean, you're freezing still. You're still prone so to I, some serious injuries. One, you start with the and how do we where, mitigate that? You know, like start like, and, and I was looking through the catalogs, you know, I've got the catalogs here. I was looking through and, you know, most waterfowl specific clothing is kind of designed for it in mind. But, um, you know, if you're kind of like, ah, I'm not going to spend the money on that and I'm going to go down and, you know, buy the camo at Walmart or I'm going to buy this. That's fine too. It'll work. But if it's cotton, cotton and cold and wet don't mix, you know, so buy Buy poly. I'm not saying you got to go buy like high end stuff. You know, buy polyester, buy wool. It starts there. You know, that, that's clothing that performs when it's wet and it's cold. Um, two, yeah, you know, for me, and this is uh, this is really important. Like in my mind, I carry in my waders on my person, like like not in a boat box, not somewhere that would be inaccessible if I fall in. 
on my body, I carry waterproof matches, a fire starter cube, and kayaking flares. The total amount of that, the, like the total amount I spent on those three things was like $25 at Academy. Um, and, and those things, like the little kayak flares, by the way, will fit in a shot shell holder on your waders uh, or in your wading belt. They were 14 bucks for two of them. But the waterproof matches in a fire cube, like that, you can start a fire on the shore if you need to, and you can get warm. A space blanket is, is five bucks. Um, that is also on my persons. Like it's on my body. So if I fall out of my boat and I can't get back or get into my boat, but I can get to shore, at least I have with me some basic things to get myself warm. Right. And that comes a lot to, you know, planning to succeed. You know, you're not just thinking about your decoys and your spot and whatnot. You've got to got to set yourself up and have all the proper, you know, items on a boat that, you know, or your person, like you were saying, that you can take care of yourself. And if you start doing that as a habit, then, you, you know, you might not have, you won't have to worry about it that day or and it's, you don't and have it's to not worry hard about to it do. I, you like want to worry about it most. You and I started talking, I actually went to Academy and I, I, I started pricing out like what some of this stuff would be. And we're talking for less than $30 to put some things on you or on your boat that could make the difference between life or death and in the worst, you know, or, or some serious injury. Um, and I, I thought about, I actually was talking this over with one of my friends. He's like, well, I don't know if I really want to start a fire on a wildlife management area. And I said, well, at least the game warden will find me. <laughs> like, you know, at least I'll be found. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a difference between like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You put yourself in that position on that wildlife area yeah. and it's like, dude you got to survive at the end of the day like a little bit of conservation difference uh like people are going to understand and if you get the ticket you get yeah, the you ticket but me, you know. at least you can, but if, you're I, alive to pick like i carry ticket, it with you know? me um you know i've got stuff like in my duck bag my yeah you know, i carry the fire starter cubes by the way are, are super compact and they burn for a while and and they're designed to get wet things started you know or a stove like i think it was, you were telling me you carry a stove like a little like fold-up stove yeah, yeah, jet boil. Like you know, having a little stove like that, um, jet you know, boil, like yeah. a little propane canister. Like these things, they'll take up a lot of space in the grand scheme of a boat. Um, and or you know, like I said, fire starter flare, waterproof matches. It's not like you're sacrificing the critical three shot shells you need to finish your limit that day. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've we've only got a, a couple more minutes left here to talk, but. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the things that you carry on your boat that maybe other people don't that have made a difference. Obviously, your your buddy, you know, he didn't carry these things. And because you, if, if you, if that would have happened to you, in oh, fact, you yeah. did, you so, had an incident. Um, um, I was, you want to talk about your incident with, the, your with my buddy and um, I was going down the lake and I, I hit a stump and I hit it just the right way. And, and my, my mud motor actually like popped off the top of my transom and came into the boat. Um, and I was like, geez, this is <laughs> unexpected. You know, I, I used an impact wrench, but whatever, you know, it's happened here. I am. Um, and I, and I happened and, and I looked at my, my boat and what I carry with me is I had, I had some vice grips. I had a hammer. I had some screwdrivers, like in a, in a tool, like a dry box on my boat. 
Yeah, some basic issue items that you would be able to recover yeah, your so vehicle had, like, without a, the, you know, the aid of, a um, had, of someone uh, else, right? A big set of vice strips. I had a hammer. You know, it's kind of nobody ever thinks that a hammer, a hammer can be used for a lot of different things, but I had a hammer help. Um, and I, I had those things, you know, on my boat. And I've always carried tools like that on boats that I've had because, you know what? It's, it's cheap insurance. It's super cheap. Go to Harbor Freight, buy, buy the least expensive. You only need it to work once. Um, when you need it to work, but I was able to put, you know, I was able to situate, like get my motor mounted back on the boat, like wrench it down. I was already kind of weary, but it just so happened. I was, I was lucky I did it because, um, the, the starter, you know, like my buddy starter went out. Well, his backup starter went out that same morning. Like what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? But, uh, but thankfully, like we were able to recover it, um, again. Right. And, and I thought about it and I was like, man, if I hadn't had my vice grips this day, you know, just some very basic tools on my boat. Like we would have both been in a really bad spot again, probably having to like get somebody to help or call someone or I don't even know where I was that I had self-service there. Like I would have been paddling out, I guess, you know, only to get someone to go help him now. Um, so I mean, $5 set of pliers. Um, and it, you know, I was able to fix it right. up good enough right. to get myself around. And, uh, you know, like you said, you just need to get, you just need, you just need to work one time. So. Exactly. All right. The last topic that I want to, I want to talk about, and I think this is probably the most serious of, you know, all the things that we've talked about tonight. And <laughs> that's the discrimination yeah, of duck hunters with, to a ramp without beards. People, like almost uninvite me from hunting with them. It's like, oh. Oh man, you're not serious. Like you can leave now. It's in the fly fishing community too. Like beards are all the rage. Um, I just can't have one, you know. So I've got to. I think there's something to be said. There's something to be said about a you know uh, a man that you know looks like his mama raised him right, and his dad showed him how to use a razor. Um, but. Uh, you know, and I have even gone so far. If you followed, have my if you followed my YouTube career with the boys from uh, the Flyways Collective, and you know, freelance duck hunting, duck hunt chronicles, and then Matt from High Prairie Sportsman, you know that they pick on me a yeah, good amount for being baby faced. Ben, like, who goes to the front door? Um, not going to get permission. But uh, like, it's usually the guy I don't that know. looks clean cut. Uh, you know, like I was up at, I was up in Kansas actually. I was up in Kansas pheasant hunting and i ran into oh, this family so true, uh yeah. and i was wanting to go hunt on their their property they had some good birds and i knocked on the door and the lady opened it and she goes oh hi you know nice to meet you that's why i'd like to ask about hunting on your land and she invited me right in and she goes oh you know you're military aren't you and they granted me permission like that fast she goes oh a lot of people come up they look kind of raggedy and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like yes the, the beardlessness they want so yeah I have, I got a buddy here. He goes to K State and Alec. Um, and I have been telling him for the entire time I've known him that he needs a haircut and to, to at least trim his beard. So, Alec, if you're listening, like, this is a plea. And maybe we'll put up a poll because he, I think I mean, he you're looks like a homeless man. Limited. Um, your hunting but, opportunities uh, are limited. You know, like, they're not going to let sorry, you on their land. One more dig at Alec. <laughs> That's right. Alex, I, you know, I think that we covered 
just a, a decent amount here, but I don't think we scratched the surface on a lot of the things that we wanted to get to. And, you know, just in the interest of the listener's time and whatnot, I think that we're definitely going to have to do a follow-up. So, um, please uh, join us on our on our Facebook group and let us know what you thought of some of the things that me and Alex talked about and some of the things that maybe you thought we should have covered or we weren't thinking of or if you thought that hey that's ridiculous I don't need a compass or I don't need to shave my beard to get permission uh, go ahead let us know uh, you know your thoughts on it and uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks Alex uh, you can come yeah, on for uh, and I've, one of you the, know, uh, I've the Friday episodes and we can retouch a couple industry, of these things uh, mountaineering and things that I'd love to reach out to and get their take on it, um, it you know if only because yeah it's, it's safety uh, and it gives it, you know, it keeps hunters out of the news and it, it helps expand into a generation and maybe mitigate some fears that people have from getting into it. Right. And I, and I don't think we, I definitely know that we were very conscious about this and I don't think that by the nature of um, who we are and how we operate, that we gave any information out here that was harmful but if you do think that there was something that we gave out that was harmful, uh, you, you know, would like to hear your opinion on it uh, for certain, because this is just something that we can't have any pride about the safety of our fellow sportsmen, uh, because ultimately, like Alex mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, it is uh, it's a contributing factor to not only the image of the sport, but just its future Um you know, in a, in a hundred years, if this is a super dangerous thing that we're doing, you know, we're going to lose people and we're going to lose, you know, public interest. And there's going to be rules that be, that are made so that to make it harder. And, um, if we were just all a little bit more conscious about our safety efforts, uh, we could avoid a lot of tragedy, heartbreak, and some negative connotations that come with, uh, hunting that we just don't need at this time in conservation yeah, I and, agree. Uh, and with the um, state of yeah i look forward to the, the follow-up and i look forward to seeing what the listeners have to say about it and um i have no shame or no pride in like if like i said if anything i said was misleading or you know could be potentially dangerous like please point it out uh and i'd love to get a reference you know i'd love to get a reference from it and everything else because i'm here to learn and you know i want me and my wife and my family to be safe when we go out and do this Absolutely. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, we look All forward right, to hearing good. everybody's feedback on this. And uh, uh, we'll have you on in a couple of weeks. All right. Later, man. Uh, uh, we'll have you on in a couple of weeks. All right. Later, man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast Group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great-great-grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content and if you get in on that facebook group you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners so all right stay safe out there and we will see you next week
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.